Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and once again, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. Lindy, g'day. I believe we have a lot to unpack today. We always have a lot to unpack, Grant. <laughs> I think it would be <laughs> fair to say. So yes, and hello to you too, and welcome everybody to the first in our Packaging News Unpacked series for 2024. With me today is PKN Associate Editor and also the Editor of Print21, Wayne Robinson, to discuss our views on the news in the month of January. So it is really good to have you back on the podcast, Wayne. Yeah, thanks, Lindy. It's good to be back after the break. And things haven't been standing still in the world of packaging. I reckon we'll need to be covering some stories that broke over the holiday period as well as January. Yes, absolutely right, Wayne, because we closed uh, sort of mid-December and we had a little break and that was great. But things were happening and we'll start with a story from the end of last year in which Planet Protector Packaging, which is now called Planet Protector Group, more of that anon, the company behind the wool pack solution that provides a sustainable alternative to polystyrene shipping containers, they have closed a $12 million Series A capital raise, which was led by the Mindaroo Foundation and the Victorian State Government together with a cohort of other Singaporean-based investors. This is very exciting for this company, fledgling company, um, in the sense that it was started as a, it was a little startup started by Joanne Howarth. Um, and it's really has been, it's been a hard journey for her. She's told me this personally to find that investment, but she has never given up. And she has won a series on entrepreneurial awards herself as has her company, won awards. Now, following this landmark investment, the company is poised to scale its packaging operations and expand into new verticals with a focus on sustainable insulation. Now, you may or may not be aware of this, Wayne, but that wool pack solution, the company uses wool that would otherwise go to waste. So wool that is comes from the underbelly of uh, sheep, um, and it gets scoured and it gets processed into an insulating pack uh, material that goes between a flexible film that gets inserted in a cardboard box and then that replaces a polystyrene shipping container. So picture your a HelloFresh delivery, perhaps, that might come in a polystyrene container. It no more. It can come in a cardboard box that has an insulated lining. And this can apply across pharmaceuticals. It applies to wine. It applies to fresh fish, lobsters. There's such a range of, you know, anything that's perishable as well, anything that needs to be protected by an insulated packaging on its shipping journey. So back to this, they are going to be shifting into new verticals now because they can also process at a plant that they're going to be getting on stream in Victoria, in Altona North. They can process fiber-based packaging, so fiber-based products to create insulating materials that can not only be used for packaging, but also in things like building as well, which is a super exciting expansion of their business. And as a result of shifting into these new verticals, the company has decided to rename itself and it's now called Planet Protector Group. It was formerly Planet Protector Packaging. And this is sending a clear message, they hope, that the scope of the impact that they can make extends well beyond packaging. 
Joanne Howard, CEO and a good friend and associate of mine who founded this company originally in 2016, said that having such high caliber investors on board will really accelerate their scale, um, their scale up rather, because they have a vested interest in Planet Protector's success. So the next plans are getting the factory up and running and then planning to expand their team so that they can expand offshore. And India is their first port of call. India is a huge manufacturer of pharmaceuticals, many of which are shipped in polystyrene. I love these stories. These innovators, these entrepreneurs that come up with a solution. We all, you know, we open our packages and all of us these days go, oh, God, if only there wasn't so much of this in here. I feel responsible for what's in here. And then along come people like this who battle the odds and come up with these fantastic solutions that are so simple, usually, you know, waste from a wool that itself would go to landfill and cardboard. Fantastic. And in fact, hasn't Planet Protector just been announced as one of the 2024 World Star Packaging Award winners? Absolutely right, Wayne. And this is not its first and not its last award, I'm sure, either. They've won several World Stars before. Um, this year, they're up for two World Star Awards. They've won in the e-commerce packaging sector and also alcoholic beverages for a pack that they produced for the, it's called Wine Protector, same principle, wool insulation, um, and it's for shipping bottles of wine. So they are, I would describe them as a well-decorated <laughs> company, um, especially for such a young company. And as I, I mentioned, also Joanne Howarth in her own right has won several awards as well. And in other good news, Wayne, the latest round of the World Star Packaging Awards has seen Australian and New Zealand companies receive the third highest number of wins in the world, just behind Japan and Germany. Japan and Germany really well known for their packaging innovation. This is the third consecutive year that our region has achieved a top three spot in the Global Awards Program, which really does reflect the high standard of innovative packaging design that is being developed in the region. The tally we have is 16 awards across eight categories, which is an outstanding result. Congratulations to all and congratulations particularly to the AIP who run the PEDA Awards Program because the PEDA Awards Program is the exclusive entry point for this region into those World Star Packaging Awards. So yes, lovely to have such a good success rate. And another one of the repeat World Star winning companies is Biopack. And this company, an Australian B Corp and a global compostable packaging enterprise, is now going to be expanding into Hong Kong. So the reason, uh, one of the reasons that they're doing this is because they're timing it with the region's upcoming single-use plastic bans, which come into effect on the 22nd of April. And Gary Smith, the CEO of Biopack, has reiterated that the company has almost two decades of experience in the compostable packaging industry. And this expansion into this market will continue to solidify Biopack's global position, its growth, and its ability to supply that um, category of sustainable materials into markets that are now calling for them as a result of regulatory changes. Yeah, and also these companies that are developing new products and then selling them overseas, of course, that's fantastic for the country as a whole uh, because of the revenue that it brings in and because of the brains trust that it develops and grows and nurtures here. So, yeah, great to see companies like that and the one, the one you talked about there. Uh, and talking about expanding footprints, and this is one coming the other way, I hear that US-based packaging company Tricor Braun is firmly on the acquisition trail here in Australia. And it's expanding its footprint into Western Australia with its latest purchase. That's a Perth-based Plaspack WA. 
Yep, that's absolutely right. Uh, plastic distributor and manufacturer Plaspack WA provides an expansive range of plastic packaging components for customers in Australia and New Zealand across several industries. This is food, beverage, nutraceutical, pharmaceutical, and also into the agri-chem and industrial sector. So uh, Tricor Braun, Managing Director for ANZ, Andrew Elsop, he said this acquisition will enable the company to build its customer service commitment in WA in Western Australia while offering all its customers expanded services. Tricor Braun first entered our market when it purchased Australian packaging closures manufacturer, long-standing several generations family business Cormac Packaging, and that was back in 2021. It then followed with another acquisition of PB packaging in 2022, and in 2023, it invested several million in upgrading its beverage cap manufacturing facility called BevCap. Um, so, track or brawn means business. They obviously see Australia as a as a prospective market. Yeah, it was really good news to see this level of investment in the Australian market from overseas companies. And closer to home, Visi, which of course has well established itself in the US market uh, as an Australian company, has been doing some uh, purchasing here as well. Yes, Visi has been busy. Australia's biggest recycler and packaging manufacturing company, that's how I would describe Visi, has stepped in to acquire the assets of Victorian plastics recycling business Advanced Circular Polymers, which collapsed late last year. Now, ACP, Advanced Circular Polymers, is located in Somerton in Melbourne's north. And it reprocessed plastics from curbside recycling collections. The facility has the capacity to sort and process more than 30,000 tons of plastics annually to be sold for reuse. And it houses currently over a thousand tons of unprocessed material because as it, the business went into difficulties, uh, it stopped doing the processing. Now, Visi has said it will take this over and reprocess it. So it's really good news. Visi Chief Executive Officer Mark DeWitt said Visi is now on site at ACP, beginning the cleanup process and is committed to preventing this thousand tons of hard-to-recycle plastics from going to landfill. Some of the material will be sent to Visi's world-class food-grade recycled plastics manufacturing site in Smithfield in New South Wales to be reprocessed for food-grade RPET and RHDPE containers. So some of the material that they can obviously recover and deem fit for that kind of food-grade material. But um, to think that there was this, this recycling facility, these recycling assets that were not going to be used in a market at a time when our industry really needs as much infrastructure as we have. Well done to Visi for stepping in and pulling it out of the brink. Uh, yeah, that's great to see Visi making that kind of investment. And also, it seems to be uh, acquiring companies for growth on multiple fronts because it's also made a purchase that will give it a firmer foothold uh, in supplying the booming e-commerce sector. Yes. So, um Visi has now acquired PackSize in Australia and New Zealand. They've worded it in an interesting way. They say the business now is operating under PackSize enabled by Visi. And this acquisition gives Visi exclusive distribution rights for PackSize's technology and solutions in the Australia and New Zealand region. So PackSize is an established supplier of on-demand packaging that combines precise right-sizing technology, equipment, accessories, and services that are required to package and ship goods directly from a packaging line. It's really impressive technology. I've seen it on se at several um, expos. I saw it last and Pack Expo in, in Las Vegas last year in September. The deal was only announced in December. And for the first time, we will see some of this technology through the Visi Automation Stand at Apex, at the upcoming Apex. And we'll talk about more, more about that later. But 
to have a piece of equipment that can take the size of of let's say you're shipping a well let's use the bottle of wine again as an example um, but but your next item that's been ordered is a big fluffy teddy bear and as the products are coming off it automatically is scanning and creating a cardboard box exactly to size for that item so if you're in a big warehouse picking and packing single items like an Amazon, for example, an Ikea, for example, that sort of thing, um, then this is the, the type of equipment for you. And the pack size X5 is the newest piece that is that is not yet installed in Australia, but there will be a real machine operating and demonstrating at Apex on the busy automation stand. Well, that'll be good to see. And there will all be at Apex reporting for packaging news. So yes, I'm sure it'll be on our list. Yeah, that will be. <laughs> so another story that was unfolding in the big end of packaging town and over December, uh, late November, December, and is still un unfolding now, and you've been reporting on it for PK and Wayne, is Rafael Gaminda's bid for control of Pack Group. So give us the latest update. Yeah, as we know, um, uh, Mr. Gaminda uh, launched a bid to buy the uh, almost 50% of Pact that he didn't own. It's a public company, shares in, pub in the public domain. He took it public. 10 years ago, 2013. Um, half the shares are owned by institutions, retail investors. He wanted to, uh, he wants to uh, buy it back essentially and take it off the stock market. Um, he launched a fairly low ball offer, 64 cents a share, which was uh, even below what the share price was trading at, at the time. He got very little response for, uh, for a couple of months. He decided to up his offer to 84 cents a share. Uh, and that triggered a, a wave of sell off to sell off from investors to him. Mutual investors, which, owned, which is the second biggest investor, they sold all their shares. The board, which had, uh, said it wasn't a good offer as an initial one and advised shareholders not to accept it, advised them to accept the new offer. They sold all their shares to him. So currently, uh, Rafael Gaminda owns about 85% of the business. Once he gets to 90%, uh, he will be able to buy all the shares from the from the uh, remaining investors, whether they like it or not. A compulsory acquisition. Um, he uh, And he has warned them that uh, if they don't sell, uh, before then, then when he comes to buy them in, to, in that compulsory purchase, then uh, the price may well be less than uh, they are worth at the moment there is offer is. Well, actually, at the moment, the share price is 90 cents. He's offering 84 cents. So it'd be interesting how that plays out. But it looks like uh, Rafael Gaminda will get his way and we'll be able to take the company back into his full control. Uh, he hasn't really said why he wants to do that, but presumably to give him full control to take the company forward. Its share price uh, it went up for four years when he first launched it quite strongly, it virtually doubled to $7. But since then, since 2017, it's been on a pretty much a downward spiral or downward slope. Uh, and uh, before he launched his share offer, was just trading at $0.65, cents, which is less than a quarter of what it was at, at IPO. Uh, so it looks like uh, Rafa Gaminda will uh, be able to get control of Pact, uh, and that will be happening uh, sometime in February this month, in fact, uh, is when we should see him finally get over the line with that and see what he has to do with it. Well, we've certainly been following that story with huge interest. Uh, Pact has been doing so much progressive work in the area of recycling, um, and they have a stated strategy of leading the circular economy. Um, one would hope that that strategy will stay in place regardless of who's got management control. And 
in fact, I visited just in the middle of December, I visited Circular Plastics Australia PET plant opening. Now, PACT is, that's a JV, a, a joint venture operation between CleanAway, PACT Group, Coca-Cola, Euro-Pacific Partners, and Asahi. And it's a full bottle-to-bottle recycling facility for PET bottles. Bottles come from container deposit scheme collections mostly. And um, yep, they can they can recycle it in that fantastic facility and get it back to the grade of resin that is required to remake a new bottle. And it was a, a really fantastic event. Tanya Plibersek was there and everyone was singing the praises of this level of investment that's going on and what and that this is the type of project that we need to see, this collaboration that we need to see if we are going to try to drive a circular economy for plastics and in fact for all packaging in Australia. It's one of the great parts of our job, Lindy, isn't it? We get to go around and see all these amazing people doing amazing things and actually leading out of the out of the situation that we don't want to be in into a new situation that we do want to be in. And when you see with your own eyes the hard evidence of this. And in fact, just yesterday you were at another great example of investment in recycling. Yes. Um that was a, a very upbeat event. A huge crowd gathered. It was like the who's who of of people in um of all the stakeholders involved in in soft plastics, as well as some of the stakeholders involved in this company, and I'll, I'll tell you more now, involved in the other side of their recycling business, because this is really bringing together both sides of it. And that is Close the Loop. Now, Close the Loop is a recycling company that is a division or part of the listed Close the Loop group, CLG, and it opened its new upgraded post-consumer soft plastics recycling plant yesterday, which marked a major milestone in the industry's quest to find a solution for hard-to-recycle materials. Materials. Now, it's the solution there is twofold, and I'll explain. On the one side of Close the Loop's business, and in fact, it's about 70% of their business, I reckon, um, is the Planet Arc cartridges for Planet Arc recycling. So, and you know a bit about this, Wayne, because this is printer consumables, printer cartridges, toner cartridges that get recycled. Now, you can imagine the, the difficult material that, that that is to handle. So, this they describe this whole thing as an overnight success that took 10 years. <laughs> some some of them say 15 years as they developed the technology to find um, a solution where they could marry the soft plastics recycled material with the toner recycled material, put the two together and produce this thing called Tonaplas. And Tonaplas is a wonderful extender for asphalt for making roads and that is the main use of this the main application for that product and it has already been used extensively in several roads in Victoria and it looks like it's going now that this is coming on stream and it is going to have more capacity than the previous plant now you'll remember Wayne that the previous plant burnt down and that enabled them really to make this investment and really expand it. So it's going to have four to five times the capacity of that line. Now, the development was welcomed by peak industry bodies like APCO, Planet Arc, Soft Plastics Task Force. Um, the Soft Plastic Task Force is made up of major supermarkets and the wider industry were also um, full of praise because they all have a stake in solving Australia's soft plastics waste problem. Now, by no means... Are we saying, I can see the question on your face, by no means are we saying um, that this is going to solve the problem entirely because at the 
as the facility comes online and ramps up production, it will be operating at about one ton per hour. So that is not probably <laughs> at all what we need to solve all the soft plastic waste problem, but it's certainly, Wayne, I don't know if you'd agree, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic to see. Yes, it's a, it's a great step in the right direction, um, and one of one of several or many steps that are going on to solve the issue. It's a big issue. Three hundred and sixty thousand tons of soft plastic is produced in this country every year. The toner, the the um, close the loop line, will be able to work with about nine thousand tons. So three hundred sixty thousand tons we produce, nine thousand it will be able to re reprocess. Uh, that's still a large gap, uh, but it's a great story that uh, a great effort. That closed loops making and one of many across many fields that are going on and eventually we will get to a situation i'm sure where it will be able to we'll be able to deal with the problem and part of um closed the loops benefit is that it has an end use for its recycling in this case roads because that's always part of the problem with recycling what do you actually do with the recycle with the recycled product so in further good news on that story the founder of closed the loop steve morris he said, and he announced there, that Closer Loop already has plans in place to roll the same model out to other states so that, and I quote him, local people can turn local waste soft plastics into high value products for local markets. Because the point he made was the last thing we want to be doing is shipping the stuff around the place. We, we've, we can gather the soft plastics and the cartridges in one place, in one state, and then we can create the material for, say, Victoria's roads. And we can do the same in New South Wales and we can do the same potentially in WA, wherever they have plans. So they've got three next steps and they didn't say which states they're going to be, but they are going to be doing that. And the other key thing to note, while this is a, a, in effect downcycling because we're not taking the soft plastic and turning it into another soft piece of soft plastic, which is what other the chemical recycling plant that's coming on stream in 2025 is going to do, the Lysella facility. And then, um, side note, when that comes on stream, they're going to need all the soft plastic that we produce. <laughs> um, so that is that will be good news, but that's a long time off. The point about this is that they are committed to zero waste to landfill. So whether it's the cartridges or whether it's the soft plastic that comes that they are able to take in their facility, all of it is being used. They also produce another product called RFlex um, through this process, this proprietary Australian technology developed process. And that can be used in things like making supermarket trolleys and park benches and things like that. So no, it is not the quality of material that you can go packaging to packaging. Absolutely not. But it is keeping all of that product out of landfill. And so kudos to them. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely great to see, Lindy. I'm really good that you're actually able, able to see it with your own eyes. And good to see that they've got the line back up and running. And uh, let's hope they get full support from everyone, which I'm sure they will. Uh, you mentioned Planet Arc earlier on, Lindy, and they were involved in another launch in January, this time this one with Uber Eats, the well-known restaurant food delivery service. Oh, yes. Uber Eats has delivered. <laughs> I'll tell you how. It has launched a $13 million fund and a multi-year partnership with Planet Arc. And that happened in January in Sydney. I was lucky to go along to that as well. Um, it, this is a collaboration that it says is designed to help restaurants on its platform adopt more sustainable packaging options. Speaking at the event was General Manager 
of Uber Eats Beck Nist and Planet Arc CEO Rebecca Gilling, and both reiterated that this is an important step towards helping Uber Eats restaurant merchants transition to reusable, recyclable, or compostable packaging options by 2030 and ultimately drive change, they say, towards a circular economy. Uber Eats and Planet Arc have already worked in consultation on a framework that they developed by the university that was developed for them by the University of Technology Sydney's Institute for Sustainable Futures. It's a peer-reviewed framework that identifies whether a restaurant's packaging meets certain sustainability criteria, including what is considered reusable, recyclable, or compostable within the framework and allied, of course, to what APCO has put out there in terms of its targets. The $13 million in funding will be used over the next three years to stimulate more sustainable packaging uptake through programs and subsidies. And next week on the podcast, I will be um, having a session with Rebecca Gilling, the CEO of Planet Arc, to find out more about this project. Yeah, I don't actually use Uber Eats, so I don't know how their packaging arrives at the moment. I've obviously been English and very familiar with Indian takeaway, which kind of comes in the tin foils, which presumably isn't very recyclable friendly. Do you do you know what Uber Eats packaging come, is at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean, they're different. there's varieties of packaging, but it's it's typically, it can be in a plastic box um, or it can be in a compostable box with a plastic lid, depending on the platform, depending on the restaurant on the platform. The restaurant, so, yeah. Um, so I think that's what they're trying to move to. So, for example, Biopack that we spoke about earlier is a huge supply into this uh, fast food sector or the, let's call it the food services sector. Um, so, yeah, that's it, it. There's a range of products and they're trying to get more people. So they've already got companies like Cali Press, which is one and, and lock, Locks in a Box, Locks in a Box, two other really good, trendy with it kind of restaurant groups and um, they are they've already committed to sustainable packaging and are using that as well that's why i don't know them you see when you say with it and trendy of course it rules me out straight away <laughs> absolutely um, well me apart- too actually <laughs> well apart from the food services sector we've also seen brands themselves stepping up to cut plastic from their packaging Yeah, we've had some news from big brands. Chobani Australia has cut the plastic content in the packaging for its Gippsland Dairy stirred yogurt products. That's in the 160 gram format. That has reduced the plastic per unit by almost half by removing the black plastic lid and plastic spoon in lid. The removal of the product's lid is part of Chobani's commitment to the Australian Packaging Covenant Organization and, of course, the 2025 targets. And it has also that removal of the spoon that was embedded in the lid before, that happened because it was part of Victoria's ban on single-use plastic cutlery. So I think the number that was quoted was 44% plastic reduction. So instead of a plastic lid on top, they now have the foil lid. The foil lid, uh, you might be aware, Wayne, is produced by the Van Dyke Press. It's printed and converted by the Van Dyke Press. So and we've also had, on the flexible packaging side of things, Australian confectionery brand Allen's, which of course is owned by Nestle, has undergone a major change to its packaging that will see the reduction of plastic that it uses for its lollies, uh, a range of lollies, but the equivalent in weight that, they, that they've cited is 4.6 million snakes alive lollies. Now, you've got grandchildren. I'm sure you feed them those, those snakes alive lollies. That would be, Imagine- that would be a dream. That would be a dream. Okay, so picture that scene, <laughs> the snake pit. Um, that's all of that plastic is now being saved. Brand owner Nestle says the change will reduce Alan's use of plastic by 21% across its range, cutting 58 tons of plastic from being used each year. All of these are um, little steps, but 
big steps when they combined, aren't they, Wayne? Yeah, Lindy, it's been fantastic, uh, this podcast, to hear so many, you call them little steps, and I guess in the big scheme of things they are, but they're quite big steps that people are making. New materials, new processes, new recycling lines, new targets, uh, new acquisitions, all with the aim of reducing the amount of waste and reducing the amount of plastic that uh, can't be dealt with by any other way apart from putting it in the ground. So it's just uh, been a terrific snapshot of uh, what's going on at the moment, which is obviously a lot. Yeah, a lot. And I'm going to sneak in two more and I'll go real fast because time's running out. But dairy producer Fonterra, they introduced um, in late November Naked Moz. Now, Naked Moz is mozzarella because that they supply in bulk to, to restaurants, obviously, wrapped in only the most basic plastic wrap. So this move, the company says, will spare 330 tons of cardboard each year, translating to annual savings of close to 900,000 to round it up. The company moves over 12,000 tons of its perfect Italiano mozzarella from the from its uh, Stanhope manufacturing site in Northern Victoria to be shredded at secondary processing site in Tullamarine. So this is what Chris Foley of APCO often describes as the low-hanging fruit of packaging when we're trying to reduce waste. We forget how much waste is happening in our supply chains itself. So here's a company that was using a cardboard to ship to another company within its group that is not necessary to use. So it is just keeping only the plastic overwrap on those big balls of mozzarella. <laughs> They're flattened balls. So, so and then, you're making me hungry. Oh, no, sorry. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> and now, now it's time for a coffee because Australians will now have access to recycling instructions on qualifying paper cups thanks to a partnership between APCO, which uh, runs the Australian Recycling Label Program. So let me qualify that. It's the, the Australian Recycling Label Program part of APCO that is partnering with Simply Cups. Simply Cups is a paper cup recycling program. And as we know, and it is often spoken about, paper cups pose a significant recycling challenge in regular Australian curbside collections because of their waterproof lining. So they cannot be recycled in cardboard. Now, Simply Cups, as a result of creating this logo, uh, it's called Drop Off Only on the logo and it falls under the ambit of the Australian recycling label. Um, and the logo is quite distinctive. It, it will put this on qualifying cups. 7-Eleven is one of the partners that is that uses Simply Cups and will be using this. And, and you know how many 7-Elevens there are out there. Um, and there are 1,500 collection points across Australia. Once these cups are collected, Simply Cups partners with reprocessors who use innovative technologies to transform the used cups into new products like, once again, roads and lightweight concrete slabs, so building materials, all with the ob- objective of diverting them from landfill. So until we aren't using um, paper cups, and I just don't think that that's going to be a proposition because Australian is Australia is a country of coffee coffee lovers and sometimes we don't remember our keep cup so sometimes we do have a paper cup um i acknowledge that i'm guilty of that however these are such good news stories wayne i would like to err on the side of being upbeat about what's coming up and so on that upbeat note i'm going to end with the reminder to everybody that in just six weeks and by the time you're hearing this podcast maybe it will be five weeks that Apex, Australia's biggest expo for the processing and packaging industry, is just around the corner. Wayne, are you looking forward to it as much as I am? I am, Lindy. I'm looking forward to being there for four days, um, 12th to the 15th of March in the Melbourne Exhibition Centre. It's going to be great to see all the innovation that's on there. 
Yes, this time um, there are four, over 400 exhibitors. It is the, the spin-off or the uh, upgrade from the old Auspac show. So this is the inaugural Apex, and it encompasses everything to do with processing and packaging. They're expecting about 12,000 visitors and across a broad range of all manufacturing sectors that require that input about processing and packaging. Uh, it's going to be fabulous. There'll be machines, the biggest number of machines they've ever had at one show. It's going to pack out all 20 bays at Jeff's Shed. So, yeah, exciting times ahead. So, registration is open and it's free. Just go to our website, go to apex.com.au and um, be there. And, of course, Wayne and Grant will all be there because we will once again be bringing the PKN podcast to everyone with its live stream option straight from the show floor. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you can hear just how excited I am. So, on that note. <laughs> good. On that <laughs> note, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks for joining me once again, Wayne. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Linda. It's been uh, absolutely great to hear about all the different things that are going on in the world of packaging. Well, thanks, Wayne. Thanks, Lindy. And I'm certainly looking forward to Apex uh, in March and uh, bringing you live streams and uh, seeing what we can do to upgrade the feed a little, shall we say? <laughs> There's a tease as well. But uh, thanks, of course, to our audience who have joined us today. And uh, don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from this show. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion, but until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.